0: Good series so far, right? I have loved exploring the names of god, and it was I was thinking as we as I was preparing to talk about one of the they're all significant, but this name uh requires humility to really understand, and as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that you know, we might fall into the trap of just like treating these names as um, a smorgasbord, a buffet, you know. I'll take El Shaddai, <laughs> I'll take El Royi. you know, Adonai, oh that's a little harder, I won't you know. That that we, we can choose God to be a certain aspect of who he is as revealed in his names and then i thought well of course that's really how we treat god anyway it's really not about his names we tend to fashion god according to our current life needs and circumstances we all do that and in a sense we are constantly shaping god based on our needs and our expectations and so think about how unusual it is for us to hold at any given time a full understanding of the God who has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. But yet that's what this series is about. It's to help us grasp the God who cannot be fully known, but has made Himself known in powerful ways through Scripture. And that God is the one that we worship. And so today, we're going to look at one of those names that causes us to see God above our expectations, above our choices, but lets Him be God in our life. And that's the name Adonai. It means Lord. Anytime in the Old Testament as you're reading through and you come to the name Lord in your translation and it's a capital L and all lowercase o r d that is most likely the word Adonai and it appears well over 400 times in the Old Testament and when you come to understand who Adonai is it is a life rocking life shaking perspective shattering and transforming experience because it requires complete surrender okay let's close in prayer we're going to look at one such encounter with Adonai it's a it's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament it's Isaiah chapter 6 we don't have Bibles in the pews right now but I encourage you to either turn to your own Bible or find it online or on a, a digital version And we're going to work through today the first eight verses. Uh, The scholars disagree about whether the first five chapters of Isaiah are chronological in order. Or whether Isaiah is just laying out a context. But we do know that this encounter with Adonai is the calling of Isaiah. He is so dramatically transformed by this vision and encounter with Adonai, that it shapes his whole future and changes him from the inside out. And so we're going to begin reading. We'll just read for now through the first four verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke meet the God who is your Adonai in the year the King Uzziah died I saw Adonai every part of this brief passage these um, brief verses these eight verses we're going to look at is like a stroke on a painting and so we're going to just walk through it because it paints this beautiful image of Adonai but the context begins with the phrase in the year that king Uzziah died and this is not just a chronological marker that Isaiah puts out it's an important time in history it, it probably will be similar years from now when we look back at 2020 and say during the era of COVID-19 because this is a season for Israel of great turmoil great heartache they're troubled they don't know what the future holds it's it's a it's a time of great concern and Uzziah's own story is a tragic one he had reigned as king for over 50 years he started when he was 16 years old and under the tutelage of Zechariah He, in his early stages as king, it says, by the way, you can see the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 of Uzziah as maybe a follow-up this week. And early on, it says, he sought the Lord. And because he sought the Lord, God blessed him and expanded him. And and the scripture records he was a, a young ruler of great power, and he secured the borders of the nation of Israel. And he achieved great respect among surrounding nations. But then there is a turn in his story where the success led to pride. And the pride was his downfall. At one point, he goes into the temple, which was only allowed for priests. And takes it upon himself to actually offer incense in the holy place. Not the holy of holies. If you've been with us and you've ever heard us talk about uh, the temple. It had two primary rooms. The outer room was the holy place and the innermost room was the holy of holies. Only a high priest would go in there once a year. But every day a priest would go in to the holy place and offer sacrifice, incense on the altar of incense right in front of the veil and uh, just on the other side of the Holy of Holies. That was meant for a priest. Now this is fascinating because Uzziah was, in his way of thinking, honoring God. He was doing what he saw as a good thing, but it was a horrible thing Because it was not his to do. You see, he had gotten prideful enough that he saw himself as in partnership with God, but forgot that Adonai required submission to his ways. And he started thinking, I I can improvise here. See, Success and power is one of the greatest threats to true submission to God that we can ever experience and this caught Uzziah and the tragic end is that God judges him and he dies a leper and so when Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died he's talking about a a critical era the end of a very sad chapter a time of anguish and sorrow and uncertainty does that sound familiar? are we not in a season similar to that. And so in the same year that King Uzziah died, in this year of the COVID-19 and of social injustice, I want to suggest we need a fresh view of Adonai. We need to say like Isaiah said, in this year, I saw Adonai. I saw the lord let's just work through stroke by stroke this painting that he creates for us first i saw the lord high and exalted everything about this description is meant for us to see god adonai as the ruler and master of everything even though we know that he condescends, that he's, we've learned through our various studies so far that he's mindful of us, he visits us. In Jesus, he dwells among us, humbles himself, and reaches down. It is also true that he is other, he is high, and he is exalted. This is about his transcendence as God. It is not either or. It must be both and seated on a throne this is about his absolute authority over all things the train of his robe filled the temple this is why we suspect Isaiah was a priest not just a prophet because he likely had this vision when he was in the holy place where Uzziah had committed his sacrilege that very place God shows up as the God who is to be worshiped, and why Uzziah's transgression was so extreme. Right? The train of his robe filled the temple. This is about his majesty. Above him were seraphim, beings created to worship God, worshiping creatures. And in order to worship him, they had six wings, with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they covered their faces. This is about humility. This is about not walking in our own ways. And with two wings, they're flying around. And then we hear this chant, this spoken word that is being spoken around the throne as they call out to one another. And this is what they said. If you're in the room with me, let's say this together. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy means set apart and sacred. Sinless. In the Old Testament when they use the word holy, holy, that means absolutely holy or the most holy. It is unheard of. To say holy, holy, holy. That's like saying holy to infinity. This is saying that God is so set apart, so sacred, so untouched by sin, so separated from sinfulness, that there aren't enough words to describe that beautiful state of purity in which He lives. Now I want to just dwell here for a minute because you might think that this was a, a song that was just sung for this particular moment and at this particular time. But we know something about these creatures, and we know something about this spoken word that that Isaiah heard. And we learn more about it when we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. This is now centuries after Isaiah witnesses these Worshipping creatures, declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. John is caught up into glory. And there he is standing and he sees that very throne of God that Isaiah saw centuries earlier. And this is what we hear him say, beginning at verse 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox. The third the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings which covered their eyes and all around even under their wings Day and night, they never stop saying, and and what is it that's being said around the throne of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, I want you to think about this. God created beings who serve no other purpose except to forever around His throne worship Him. And what is the theme of that hymn that God is hearing right now around His throne that the angels are singing, the seraphim are singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 2, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts who was and is and is to come. Some of my hymn-loving people, who I'm a hymn lover too, don't like songs of repetition. But that song is being repeated for all of eternity around the throne of God. There's no verse. There's just this beautiful refrain. And I want you to think about this. God could have chosen any part of his character to have sung around his throne. What would you have chosen? (laughs) I'd have chosen his love. Right? His grace. Oh, praise God for God's grace. And forgiveness. He chose his holiness. You see... God's holiness needs to be as important to us as it is to Him. Otherwise, we're not worshiping the God who is. We're worshiping a God of our own making. And we may call Him the Christian God, but the fact is He's just another idol. Adonai says, I want you to know that I cherish my holiness. I created beings who do nothing else except declare that in my hearing. Wow. The thresholds of the temple shook. <laughs> this is a complete full sensory experience of Adonai. Right? So now let me just ask you a question. How many of you have ever had an encounter in worship or maybe in the Word of God or in a moment where you experienced God in a fresh and profound way and it marked you, it changed you in a way that your life has never been the same? Anybody here? Maybe online just hit a like or something to let us know you've experienced that. Right. This is exactly what happens to Isaiah. We're going to read the next verses and see what this encounter with Adonai brings about in his life, beginning at verse 5. First words out of his mouth Woe to me! Just paraphrase. Oh, crap. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty this is his first response i'm going to take you through these these things that happen now step by step and so this life-changing response that isaiah has as he sees adonai in all of his glory begins with conviction the new living translation translates the your translation woe to me as it's all over (laughs) I am doomed. That's the the experience he has when he sits in the face of Adonai. First is conviction. And then that conviction naturally leads to confession. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. I want you to notice just a few quick things about this. Why the lips? Well, the lips indicate the condition of the heart. Out of the mouth comes what is true in your heart. Right? Words bless or curse. Words give life. Words kill. Right? So what I am professing, how I am responding, what I'm saying on Facebook, all speak of the condition of my heart. Right? I am a man of unclean lips. That's the first thing. Second, I live among a people of unclean lips. Know that Isaiah has no problem also confessing the sins of his nation, of his people. I'm running into lots of good Christian people who are saying, why should I feel sorry? Why should I repent when I have not done this or that or acted in a prejudicial way? Why should I take responsibility for that? Because we're God's people. Isaiah has no problem confessing the sins of his whole nation and bringing it before God. I think an encounter with Adonai requires that humility. And I think those of you that are having a problem with that need to humble yourself before Adonai. It's not about you. It's about his holiness. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Our words are are cursing instead of blessing. They're bringing death instead of life. Conviction leads to confession, which then leads to cleansing. He goes on, verse 6, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs, from the altar. Now let me, let me just say something really important here. That is the very altar that was the location of Uzziah's sacrilege. Do you understand that? It was the altar of incense. It was where Uzziah had failed miserably. Why? Because that altar and the priest who offered that sacrifice were critical to God's metaphor for the gospel. The altar of incense was a representation of the great altar of sacrifice in the temple courts. The lambs that were slain, the smoke of which went up and rose up to God as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And God required a mediator to offer that sacrifice, a priest. We'll come back to that. So make no mistake that the early listener saw all of these things in the light of Uzziah's failure. And Isaiah is bringing that forward to help us understand what a true and godly response to Adonai is. And why Uzziah's pride was his spiritual downfall. It, that, that altar speaks of redemption through Sacrifice through atoning sacrifice. Let's go on. With that coal, He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. That's cleansing. Forgiveness flows freely when we confess and repent. God hears. God is willing to forgive. See? And then calling. Once this internal transaction has occurred between God and Isaiah, now he's ready to do something with Isaiah. Right? Verse 8: Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Since we're going back and forth on the teaching of the Trinity in Scripture, If you have a a, a physical text in front of you, circle I, in whom shall I send, and us, in who will go for us. Once again, we see the, the three in one, the plurality acting in unity. Who will I send and who will go for us? Once God gets a hold of us, once we surrender to Adonai, once we understand who we are, in the light of His holiness, once we see that we are anything but holy and are in miserable shape and are in trouble and doomed, if it's not for intervention on our part, and once we confess that sin and find the forgiveness, then God can finally get around to doing with us and through us what He intends and desires. And so that's why we have this commitment it's very interesting. Let's begin reading at 8 again. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Do you notice what punctuation is at the end of send me? Exclamation point. What does that mean? He's very excited about it. Right? That's the change that has occurred. So we have conviction, which leads to confession. Confession which brings about cleansing, which allows God's calling, which leads us to a commitment to be a part of what Adonai has for us. And then Adonai commissions. And God said, go. And if you read the rest of the chapter, what you see is that God calls Isaiah into one of the most difficult ministries of anyone in the whole Bible. He is called to do the type of ministry that was to speak about God's impending judgment against a group of people who were all going the way of Uzziah. Tradition tells us that he was so unpopular in his message that when they did finally kill him, they stuck him in a hollow log and they sought him in two. That martyrdom is referenced in Hebrews chapter 11. How could Isaiah say yes to this call when God right at the front end says, hey, this is going to be hard? Because he had seen Adonai. Adonai had changed him forever. He could think of nothing more glorious than to surrender to that God. Now, I want to just end by acknowledging that one of the true names of the Old Testament God that is carried forward into the New Testament and is referred, referring to Jesus Christ is this very name, Lord. It's Kyrios in Greek. But it is one that we see Jesus referred to over and over and over again. And before we go forward, well, let's go forward now. Let me, let me read one section of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It's Philippians chapter 2. It's a very well-known passage. But I want you to hear this now. And as you are, would you think for a moment through Uzziah's failure? Because he was worshiping God as he thought he was, but he was not honoring Adonai. And that made him not worshiping the true God. We think about that. We think about all the aspects of the temple, and the cleansing, and who Adonai is. And now let that be your filter as we begin reading at verse 6, Philippians 2. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you read this early hymn of the Christian church that Paul has included in his letter to Philippi, you see Jesus everywhere in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. You see him everywhere. He is the priest in the temple. The only one who can offer the worthy sacrifice for us. He is the true and great mediator between God and man. And there is no sidestepping Him. There is no human being that has accomplished so much that they can approach the throne of Adonai without going through Jesus. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice on the altar. He is the true Lamb of God whose death would take away the sins of the world. And ultimately, He is high and exalted. He is Adonai seated on the throne and the whole earth is full of His glory. Imagine this moment when the Son of the Trinity humbles Himself. Imagine now how great that condescension was when you consider the glory and holiness of Adonai what it took for Him to take on flesh and dwell among us. Imagine now the depth of that sacrifice in itself, let alone death on the cross. And imagine that having accomplished that great sacrifice that made it possible for sinful, unholy men to come into the presence of a holy God redeemed and loved so that He will then become our El Shaddai, and our el Roe and our Abba, and all these things. Imagine that sacrifice, and then because of that, God the Father exalting His Son, giving Him the throne. Imagine a moment when God, who sat on the throne, when Isaiah saw Him, stands, steps aside, and allows Christ, the Son of God, to sit on that very throne, so that now every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is not just your Savior, He's not just your buddy, He's not just your forgiver, He is your Lord. Kyrios, in Greek, one of the meanings is owner. Talked a lot about chattel slavery in our nation's history the last month people are never meant to own people but jesus owns everyone and we will finally live the life he's called us to live and experience all the goodness and the glory that comes from being in fellowship with god but it begins with understanding his ownership of your life Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Adonai. Oh, even as I pray, I realize the glibness that I've entered into this prayer. Coming into Your very presence. But thank You that now we don't just come into that outer place with fear and trembling, but because of Jesus, the veil has been torn away, and we can now come boldly before Adonai. We don't come arrogantly. We don't come deservingly. We don't come in our own strength. We come through Jesus, but we come and receive mercy and experience your presence in new innocence before you, having been made holy by the blood of Jesus. Now you welcome us. And that place that was feared by men, the presence of a God who is holy, 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 now becomes our cherished place as your people. Thank you for that, Father. We honor Adonai, but we know above all things, because that Philippians 2 passage ends, that when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, this gives great delight to God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. The Father is so honored now that we acknowledge Jesus as our Adonai, as our Lord, and so we do that afresh this day, in Jesus' name, amen.